bump once a year, every couple of years to subsidize the food farming because we subsidize food farming. Most any farmer who's out here farming in Hawaii subsidizes it. So it kind of brings it back to the plant, some of its roots, you know, if you trace the sociological roots of this plant in other island, you know, nations in the Caribbean and even back to the continents, it it was very important in terms of uplifting communities economically. Welcome to the Miracle Plant Podcast, the show that inspires, promotes, and gives you a daily dose of inspiration from the people who have used cannabis to change their lives in extraordinary ways. Here's your host, Justin Benton. Welcome to the Miracle Plant Podcast, where we explain this misunderstood plant with so many different names. Today, we have a great guest that I've met on this incredible platform, Clubhouse. She's been growing hemp cannabis for decades with her husband. We met on Clubhouse and her spirit and her energy is just won me over immediately. And I'm so happy to have with us Gail Baber from Hawaii. Gail, welcome to the Miracle Plant Podcast. How are you doing? Aloha. We're doing well. Thank you so very much. Yeah. And I want to say that my husband has been the primary grower for 40 years out here, food and cannabis in Hawaii. So, but I've definitely been around for a big part of the journey. That's awesome. And I'm sure you've gotten your hands dirty too out there in the field. (laughs) Yeah, I do by default. I often manage more the Paula Paula side, as we say over here, the paperwork side of things, but yeah, definitely lend a hand for sure. Awesome. And so tell us your story, your journey. How did, were you introduced to this plant? And I, we just love hearing how you came into contact with the, the miracle plant. Well, you know, it's interesting because I'm just thinking it was actually through Jack Rohr's book as well. And well, obviously, you know, in college, when you're a young adult, you're, you're trying cannabis. But I think in terms of seriously understanding it, wanting to understand it, it was that book. And I'm, I'm saying that because at the same time, my husband was giving away thousands of copies of that book in the 80s here in Hawaii. He actually spoke. I think I was sharing that. He spoke on the phone with Jack Rohr in 79 or 78 when he was out here, uh, when my husband was here in Hawaii and Jack was on the mainland. And they were talking about how soon they thought the uh, prohibition on hemp and cannabis would be lifted. And they both thought just a few years, but you know, that was what, 30, 40 years ago. (laughs) So, but I have a background in civil engineering and natural resource management. And I, I think hemp has fascinated me. Well, it absolutely has fascinated me for a long, long time because of the sustainability aspect. I just was raised for whatever reason with an environmental ethic and have been very aware of the dance and the balance we have um, on this planet. And so I think for it's been more from that perspective that I've embraced and had a relationship with the plant. And my husband has had a relationship with the plant for a long time. He is, is dyslexic and was also an engineering student in the 70s. And even before then, he realized that it, it helped him um, navigate the world a little bit more in line with what people's expectations were with regard with how you um, should think. You know, dyslexic's brains are amazing. You know, they're kind of genius brains. And uh, so that plant helped kind of help him moderate that. And especially, I think he tells a story of 
he was about ready to go into exam. He was his second year of engineering school and he had some test anxiety and he, he was having trouble recalling and he took a little cannabis and he recalled everything. So I, I'm not promoting that out there to college students necessarily to do that, but for his particular brain and neurotransmitters, it was a perfect match. So we, and he's been farming his whole life. My mom, they farm on my mom's side for, you know, generations and generations as well. So he's had an interest, I think, from probably, you know, unconsciously the brain driven side, and then also from the cultivation and growing side. That's incredible. (laughs) I mean, I know in college, I was definitely partaking in the cannabis on the recreational side. And I, it, it wasn't helping me with my studies. It was helping me with my good time. And that's for sure. But that's, it's incredible how this plant can interact, you know, interact with everyone's endocannabinoid systems in receptors and our CB1 and CB2 receptors. And there's actually five more receptor sites in the cannabinoid, endocannabinoid system. So that's incredible. So the crazy thing is we are actually live recording on Clubhouse, this incredible platform that there's a lot of buzz about and things. It's been incredible from my standpoint to meet people like you, Gail and be able to collaborate and connect and educate. And what's been your experience with Clubhouse and, and all the things that you're up to? The exact same. I'm, I, I love it because it's interactive radio. And I, you know, I, I enjoy some other social media platforms, but I can see how myself or others can get sucked into them in a way that's maybe more, you know, not as healthy. But I, I can feel that I'm in, engaging my brain. I'm constantly learning. The connections and the relationships, of course, have been very helpful, but I love it. <laughs> I prefer it to radio now. It's it's fun. You can dial into specific subjects or folks that you're interested in learning from. I think, too, what I've noticed in the rooms I'm in, and it may be because it's specific to hemp and cannabis, although I jumped into a couple other subjects, there seems to be a level, for the most part, not a room, but a level of camaraderie and respect that is so welcome, you know, right now, old school, right? (laughs) Just people Mm -hmm. like listen to one another. And that in itself has been super enjoyable and needed right now. Needed. Oh, and yeah, like no other time that the old uh, Chinese proverb is the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. And the second best time is today. And we could have used Clubhouse nine months ago or 12 months ago, but I will take it today. It's just been revolutionary for, you know, just collaboration and sharing of ideas. And just there's, because we all know there's so much misinformation about this plant. And just, I get the same questions over and over and over again. You know, will CBD make me high? Will I fail a drug test? You know, then over and over and over these uh, people have concerns. Does CBD come from marijuana? What's the difference between CBD and hemp? And there's, you know, and medical doctors aren't trained on the endocannabinoid system. And so they're confused about it and don't know what to say. But because of this platform, we're able to have these dialogues and have doctors on stage and discuss, like with Dr. Lakeisha, who was on last week, mm. who who's a, a guest and, and who absolutely is an expert when it comes to the endocannabinoid system and explaining all five of the receptor sites. And it's just been amazing. And we've been able to give out over 2000 products just on connections that we've made in the last 40 days on, on Clubhouse to families that are affected by things like autism or people that are going through cancer or giving nurses little like sampler packs of products to try for themselves or 
master herbalists or doctors. And that was not available to me 43 days ago before I joined. I mean, Facebook wouldn't let us advertise. We get accounts shut down and we can't do ads, even though, as you and I both know, CBD and hemp is as legal as soybeans, corn, and apples. But because of the stigma and because of the powers and the forces that be behind the scenes, they've done everything they can to keep this plant down as they've done successfully for 80 years. But now that the plant's legal due to the Farm Bill in 2018 and cannabis on the higher THC side above 0.3 is becoming more and increasingly more and more legal in the 40 states out there. It's just an amazing time out here for us as well. I remember when we first met on Clubhouse, the first conversation we had was about Doug Fine and, his, <laughs> and about his regenerative farming. And yeah. so I'd love to give you the floor on, on regenerative farming and sustainability and, and uh, all the things that Doug talks about in his book, his new book out, which is American Hemp Farmer. Yeah, absolutely. Hemp has a huge role um, to play in that for sure. And uh, I, I hope we've walked our talk out here in Hawaii. I know my husband has. He's been regenerative farming, I mean, almost his entire life. And he grew up going out to his Aunt Tubi's farm when he was <laughs> younger. And he got to see some practices that he felt were not sustainable. And even as a young man, he was looking for alternatives. And so for sure, I can tell you, he started going organic in the 70s and the 80s and regenerative farming, including like no-till. And then 30 years ago, really started researching, understanding the use of microorganisms in soil and creating inoculants and has been creating a product as long for at least 25 years, probably given more of his products away than he's ever sold or made money on. I mean, it drives me crazy, but <laughs> but he's an, ad, he's an activist in many ways at, at heart. So yeah, and I, you know, when you look at the big picture of things and where we need to move towards, it is absolutely a regenerative farming model. And, you know, I'm, I'm trying to bite my tongue and not be disparaging of other farming practices. I mean, I even have farmers in my own family you know, they're not organic by long shot, although we were all organic a hundred years ago. <laughs> so much of this is about scale. And, you know, I think there's a, a misconception out there that you can't scale regeneratively. What it, it, It's a little bit more intensive, obviously, in terms of labor and costs, but it all comes down to, well, what's what's the alternative? Obviously, there's, there's trade-offs. And so we either internalize our costs up front um, into our farming and we do it in a manner that sustains and rebuilds the earth and supports our health or we schlep it up on the next generation. <laughs> well, I, I'm very confident that my husband is, we've always internalized our costs. We mulch everything, you know, we compost, we build eight inches of soil a year. And the great thing about that, and we polycrop, you know, and we're not quite a permaculture farm, but, but, but similar just because it's more efficient that way. You end up with more with more plant species. You have more homes for for microbes. You end up with greater resiliency in your system, and then you have less troubles when it comes to pests or or other things like that. So, it, in the long run, it's cost effective. When we have ag obviously have agricultural models that are subsidized and for for practices that aren't, it's kind of hard to compete. But the UN. And a variety of nonprofits around the world have studied it and said, really, you know, what's going to make sense in the long run is smaller regenerative farms. And I believe we can do it on the large, on a large scale 
as well. So yeah, Doug's a great advocate for regenerative farming and, and for small farmers in particular, he's been out here to Hawaii and really have appreciated his help in providing a voice for um, small family farms. Although he says, and I agree with him, the hemp tent is big and, and we welcome everyone at this time. Absolutely. That's, that's incredible. Have you written a book yet? Are you going to write a book, Gil? <laughs> you know, it's so funny. My mom is, she's, she's an amazing farmer herself, actually. And even though I grew up in the military and my, we moved all over, my mom would have these incredible garden farms wherever we went. And I appreciate her so much more now as we tend to do as we age and <laughs> lucky enough to still have our parents back or we reflect on them. She started CSAs in the 80s, Community Supported Agriculture Projects. Now, to me, that was just like old school because I grew up with that knowledge and understood it. But now I'm recognizing that she was really on the forefront of um, some of the things she did. And she started them in odd places like northern Nevada, where it's hard to farm and started one at a correction facilities for young men to get them involved. So I'm you know, I'm going to get off this podcast and call her again and tell her how much I appreciate what she's done. But so the long story is I've grown up with someone who has a great green thumb, way better than me, and way before I met my husband. And when she met my husband, she's like, you got to write a book. <laughs> so, so I, you know, I actually have a pretty good technical writer. I don't know that I could write a book that would be, you know, maybe engaging to people, but he, he has so much knowledge and, and depth of understanding, just like you know, anyone that's been in their craft for a long time, but I think in particular, because my background is engineering and kind of applied science, but he, and, and his as well, but he went off into agriculture. You know, he came out here on summer break from university to surf waves. And uh, well, that was the end of that. He could farm me around and surf. So that was the seventies and never looked back. <laughs> but he, so I think what I was going to say was all farmers are incredible scientists. And they, to, to be successful at the growing aspect over time, you have to be incredibly observant. You have to be running experiments in your mind. You know, he has journals that go back decades documenting things. And so just as oftentimes happens in relationships, you, you see each other with filters or you don't always, you know, but whenever I hear him speak publicly about something, I'm still, I'm blown away. You know, I'm like, holy cow, your depth of understanding about microbes, your depth of understanding about soil building, your depth of understanding about the relationship of the plants here is just really amazing. So, yeah, someone should write a book about my husband and him farming out here in Hawaii and certainly all the adventures the folks had out here in the early days with regard to cannabis as something else. And it, and it obviously was much more widely grown, the high THC side in Hawaii than other places on the mainland for decades and was really a, a huge part of the, the economy here. And I was speaking with a colleague of mine who's a, let's see, I think her, her degree is in PhD um, from Harvard in sociology. And when our sugarcane plantation started shutting down and, you know, well, that, that happened over a period of, the, you know, several decades. But when the last few were shutting down and the war on drugs started, she said, it, she did a mini study with some colleagues and she's like, we're going to see a lot of poverty and a lot more domestic violence because folks are not going to have access. First of all, they're going to be stressed financially because plantations, which were primary jobs are shutting down. And then the secondary avenues in which people were able to put, you know, shoes on baby or tires on the car was becoming more and more difficult and wiped out the war on drugs. 
And I know for a fact, the folks that, that grew a lot of cannabis out here in Hawaii were everyday mom and pop folks. I mean, there's a little bit of folklore on a lot of the Kona coffee folks. <laughs> there were, you know, older immigrants that had integrated that into their economic model as, as well as just, it was, it was more commonplace for, for better, or for worse. So, but I think for the most part for better, because it provided this kind of network economy and you interrupt me at any time, but I, that is something that I know the folks that worked really hard to bring the hemp industry to Hawaii, you know, the low THC side of thing for folks that are listening, were really hoping to bring back was more of that cottage industry model where more people could participate in this because obviously this is this is kind of an agricultural revolution in terms of the market share out there and of course the products that can be done. Hawaii does have large agricultural landscape, but we have a lot, most of our farms are very small. I think like two thirds of them are less than 40 acres, something like that. We're a lot of small family farms and we import 95% of our food. So, so, so folks who are working on the hemp legislation, especially my husband who worked on this for, for decades, started the Hawaii Hemp Council in 1990, had an understanding and a vision that um, we could integrate hemp into food crops. Even if you don't polycrop, you could grow a crop now and then. And if we had a hui, as we say out here, kind of a cooperative model with farmer-owned infrastructure, farmers could make a little bump once a year, every couple of years to subsidize the food farming because we subsidize food farming. Most any farmer who's out here farming in Hawaii subsidizes it. So it kind of brings it back to the plant, some of its roots, you know, if you trace the sociological roots of this plant in other island, you know, nations in the Caribbean and even back to the continents, it it was very important in terms of uplifting communities economically. And that is a long answer to, should we write a book about my husband? And the answer is yes. <laughs> I'm sure every listener right now is shaking their head up and down. Yes, Gail, you should write a book. So there's been some interesting hacks, I guess, if you could call it that, on Clubhouse that I've learned. And so basically, people will take even this podcast when we're done. You can take this podcast that will be on you know, MJ Bowles and PodCon X that Danzo here producing and recording. And you can listen to it on that platform or Apple or wherever you find your podcast. And you can literally download the podcast and put it in either Google Docs or there's a couple other platforms like Designer with two R's. And it will literally transcribe all of the, even from video content, but from audio content. And it'll just transcribe everything in there. And then you can clean it up with Grammarly. And you can, I mean, I don't think you would need any help with an editor based on the way that you communicate. But if you wanted to, you could find an inexpensive editor on places, even like Fiverr, and they would be able to edit it down and help make everything real clean and simple. And you can upload it on places like Amazon real simply. And I watched all this happen. The first couple nights I was on Clubhouse, I, I met Robbie Cornelius and Joe Ingram, and he literally showed how you, you could do this, and you would have a book up and running, completely published, and he actually got it on the first on uh, best uh, a top selling bestseller on Amazon uh, in forty eight hours. <laughs> so the, the game has changed with technology, and 
you obviously have such incredible insight and content and you already know Doug. So there's the traditional way, <laughs> which certainly has its uh, advantages and what have you. But if there's anything I can do to help with that, I would love to help. And you certainly have a book or two or three in you. And when you start thinking about it in that concept of literally you could make seven chapters based on seven topics that you want to talk about or you have passion about. And then you just start talking or you have a podcast like this and then you download all of that content and then you upload it, like I was saying, and then that's a chapter and then next chapter. And then before you know it, people are literally writing books from start to finish, complete two, 300 page books in less than two or three weeks. So it's not as hard as it thinks. And just to kind of give you a little nugget to to chew on there. So, you know, that. that is beautiful. I'm really up to learning more. And that feels so that kind of democratization and access to tools. So, you know, we can just get more good work out there and people can participate more in whatever level they want to is almost a reflection of what we're seeing in Clubhouse as well, too. There's access, you know, people of all different levels of industry are able to access folks at all different levels. And what you just downloaded with regard to being able to publish a book feels very synonymous to that. That actually gives me so much hope about humans and the proper use of technology. Thank you. <laughs> you bet. Well, again, once again, it comes down to this platform clubhouse. I learned that here, you know, five weeks ago, and I saw it happen in progress. And so it helped me it's just this amazing community that, you know, and it, you, you basically, you find your tribe, if you will, and you find the people that, that make sense to you and you follow them. And we've had some late night conversations, you know, two or three in the morning, which is a huge advantage for us West coasters because yeah. we're on the West coast. And then we, everyone on the East coast, when we're up till two, they're up till five and you guys are what, one or two hours behind us in California, right? Yeah, we're two hours right now. And when you folks yeah. go to daylight time, we'll be three hours behind Pacific. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So you have the ultimate advantage that you can yeah. just stay up and be like, everyone's barely hanging on. And you're like, well, it's midnight. It's not that bad. But no, no that's incredible. So a lot, a lot of great information sharing on Clubhouse. And that's how we met. And I, yeah, you definitely have some books in you. And I will be a cheerleader for you uh, and support you any way that I can. I would be remiss not to mention what you're going through right now with the Hawaii bill and, and to get your platform out there so others can understand what you're going through and how we can support you and what's going on. That's funny because the technology that you were just describing in terms of being able to quickly translate and get things out there, either video or written, was I was thinking, boy, that, that would be really helpful to the Hawaii hemp farmers and industry just in general in terms of information sharing. But obviously, specifically, we as in other states, we have our Hawaii state legislature is in session and the Hawaii Hemp Farmers Association, which is actually an industry association here, it includes manufacturers and processors as well, had gotten together with Representative Bronco. He's a newer representative here in Hawaii and replaced Representative Thielen, Laura Thielen, who had been out here for a long time advocating for hemp. Goodness, you know, God bless her. And we were hoping to move that bill through. We thought we'd done a lot of bit of fighting. I don't want to say fighting, but hard work the last few years and lifting and kind of getting things legal and, you know, fine tuning, but not perfect. But that wasn't the case. And there are a couple of bills that would just be very decimating to the um, hemp industry. So we've been working hard on that. And I'm grateful to Clubhouse once again, because I've been able to make some acquaintances that have been able to inform my conversations 
when I'm speaking with members of the legislature. And then I'm hoping to bring in a couple of experts based on relationships I made in Clubhouse to speak to at least one member of the legislature that's very open, the author of one of the bills that's very uh, difficult out here. So yeah, we are unique. Hawaii is almost, I want to say triple regulated. (laughs) We're regulated with regard to hemp at the state and federal level. We're one of the few states that decided to put their growers under USDA. And then the state still retained some authority under over farmers. So we still have to check in with them on certain things and paperwork and whatnot. <laughs> and, and then, of course, when you move over to the manufacturing processing side, there's whole other layers of government permitting that are being developed. But, you know, I if I had to put it in a nutshell, because there are specifics we could talk about, I would just say that Hawaii is often, you know, almost a thought leader in terms of things and certainly has been in terms of cannabis. There was uh, a brief day, I think, that came out of the legislature in the 70s in support of cannabis for a variety of reasons. And then we had an approved project here in 2000 for growing hemp, way ahead of the curve. And, and of course, lots of activists. And then we were one of the earlier pilot programs to be approved by our legislature. But we just shot ourselves in the foot and <laughs> made a bunch of whole, whole bunch of rules that are overly complex and, and draconian. And, you know, just we couldn't even import seed from the mainland for a long time or it was it was just really challenging. couldn't move anything off our farms. Just a lot of fear based rulemaking. So it's been really challenging out here in Hawaii, but we're we're not done. But I do have to say that the farmers that have been in on this, a uh, number of them have gone out of business. And those of us that are still standing that have been here for a while are you know, kind of barely hanging on, which opens the door for folks that aren't from Hawaii to come in and perhaps, you know, do some good work. But, you know, obviously what we were hoping for was a model in which we could you know, give a farmer a, a dollar and they recirculate at least seven times in the economy. So that's kind of a broad overview. I could speak specifically if you want or ask me a question. <laughs> well, I, I don't want to get too far in the weeds just so people will kind of be like, uh, that's confusing. <laughs> but yes, exactly. if there's anything we can do to support you, I know we talked about a couple of different options out here and we'll continue to go down with perhaps Chris Conrad or even my mom and Dr. Lakeisha and some wonderful people to help you with that. But I also wanted to give you some time to talk about your, your company. Hawaii Royal Hemp and what it's all about. And and I'd love to learn more about that. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, that's a company that's um, founded by my husband and I, and it's basically on the back of the food farming and cannabis farming he's been doing out here for 40 years. He's had other companies, Island Herbs, he had for a long, long time, but decided to kind of rebrand and to put hemp in the name, Hawaii Royal Hemp. And we got the first hemp license on our state pilot program and then also got the first USDA um, license out here in Hawaii to grow hemp. And that's primarily because I can just wade through paperwork, I guess. <laughs> I don't know that first is of any significance other than usually that means someone knows how to wade through paper. But And we grow regeneratively. We're, we're small scale and we're growing the way that my husband always has, although he's just like any good farmer scientist, constantly learning and, and improving. And we polycrop. We don't till we mulch almost every yeah, everything's by hand, so it's it's pretty intensive. But I think we see the the result is very high quality, and we give away food to our community because we integrate food into what we're doing with hemp. Just because it makes better food, and it makes uh, better hemp, and then also you know we get the pleasure of eating our own food. We have a you know small value added line, farmer processed and made and. You can order it online if you want, but just tinctures and honey and, and salve. 
And so we're very much about regenerative farming and bringing our local community with us as we go through this journey. That's awesome. I'd love to learn more about the honey. Yeah, we've had hives on our, our land and, you know, bees love hemp flowers. They absolutely love it. And we also have, which is an introduced species to white, but we have something here. I, I don't know the Latin name, but it's Christmas berry and it can take over old land pretty quickly. But it is, it's a lovely windbreak, but it is also very similar to the, the honey that comes from Christmas berries, very similar to Manuka. So it's very medicinal. So that's the honey we have on our land. That is amazing. And I know that, are, is it raw honey as well that you sell? Yeah. And of course you don't ever want to give raw honey to children or, or infants, but yeah, it's, yeah, it's raw honey. Good stuff. Awesome. Yeah. And we're all about the raw. So that's beautiful. I love it. Well, it's just been an absolute pleasure. How do people reach you, Gail, especially if they could help out with the Hawaii legislation or if they want to try your products or just talk to you about being a, a big book publisher? How do they find you? <laughs> that's so sweet. Yeah. We have Instagram and, um, Facebook and website. And I think they're all Hawaii Royal, Hawaii Royal Hemp. So HawaiiRoyalHemp.com. Instagram is Hawaii Royal Hemp. And if you go Hawaii Royal Hemp on Facebook, you can find us as well and just message me and um, happy to help serve in any way we can. Awesome. And find you on Clubhouse as well, right? <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, maybe too much, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hear you. So, well, thank you so much for coming on. You just an amazing guest with so many incredible insights. I know I'll be listening to this podcast over and over again. And like I said, I'll have both pom poms in each hand cheering you on for that first, second, or third book. And uh, if there's anything I can do to help, like I said, so thank you for coming on. Thank you everyone for tuning in uh, and listening to the Miracle Plant Podcast. If this uh, story struck you or if you think someone should hear it, please share this podcast out, whether you text it or forward it on and make sure other people can hear it. The best thing you can do for us so more people can hear these incredible stories and guests like Gail is to review the podcast on Apple and just give us a quick little couple minutes of what you thought of the podcast and some of your key takeaways. And we read those uh, reviews on the podcast as well. So. Thank you, everybody, for swinging by the Miracle Plant Podcast. If you want to be a guest, you can reach out to us as well, either at info at themiracleplant.org or go find me on Instagram. I'm Justin, the number four hemp. Or you can always find me on Clubhouse about 10 to 15 hours. So once again, thank you, Gail, for coming on. And thank you, everybody, for tuning into the Miracle Plant Podcast. We will see you all next week. Take care, everybody. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey there, my name is Leah Babrudi, and I'm the founder and host of Chicks Podcast, where I discuss cannabis, psychedelics, and other natural medicines. I not only interview people who use them as treatment for different conditions, but also the entrepreneurs who share their knowledge on how they built their businesses. If this sounds interesting to you, give my show a listen. I'm sure you'll learn something that'll surprise you.